became an education reformer? That is an interesting question, but my deeper motive here is to encourage everyone in the country to become an education reformer. That's what we need and nothing less. In my case, I majored in English literature, spent two years in the Army, moved to Manhattan to be a writer, had several books published, had several art shows, and ran a one-man ad agency out, out of my apartment. But all along, I was intrigued fascinated, really, by the counterintuitive things I saw in our public schools. Can you remember the first time you looked in Ripley's, believe it or not? They had two-headed calves, and they had two-headed people. Well, education became my Ripley's. I kept lots of folders, first for gobbledygook, and there was bad writing, then for weird education news. A teacher in Rockville, Maryland was suspended in 1975 for encouraging interested students to read books by Aristotle and Machiavelli, books that were not in the official curriculum. Oh, the horror. I always had a sense that education is simple. Schools teach, children learn. Obviously, we would want teachers who care enough to recommend Aristotle and Machiavelli. Clearly. Merlin was insane, and that's where I started to have the sense of education as a crime scene. All of my work in education was provoked by stories like the one in Rockville, Maryland, and the hundreds of others that turn up in magazines and newspapers. They don't help understand it or do anything about it. It's just sort of odd news, like, you know, the lady who weighs, five, weighs 500 pounds. The big question, though, hanging over all this discussion is how do we explain education policies that are effectively anti-education? I started writing a lot of articles, oh, even 30, 30 years ago. One big theme was that, like Orwell, I was struck by the interplay of wretched prose and wretched policies. Early on, I was talking to a woman at Columbia School of Education, and she said, oh, you like bad writing. You ought vacation. I can still remember being shocked, innocent lad that I was, as if she had told me a nurse poisoned patients. So we moved into the Internet age. Everyone could have a blog. There were article sites where you can publish your ideas to the world. You can put videos on YouTube. It became easier and easier to collect stories about weird education and to explore causes for our widespread malaise. The media reported that students reach college not knowing what five times seven is. Ordinary adults questioned by Jay Leno, jaywalking, and people doing the same thing, they didn't know where the Eiffel Tower is. They, didn't, they couldn't find Alaska on a globe. College boards declined. Our National Assessment of Educational Progress, that's the NAEP, scores were slipping. We were also ran, rans on international testing. We had 50 million functional literates. Why? Looking back 10, 20 years, I would say I was like a good Roman doctor. I could read the symptoms, blotches, sweating, okay, the patient is very sick and will die. But that Roman doctor had no idea why. He doesn't know about germs. 
circa 2005, I still needed to solve the biggest mystery of all, the reading wars. Rudolf Flesch wrote a book called Why Johnny Can't Read and Why Johnny Still Can't Read. I read them, but I still couldn't explain it. Not to my own satisfaction. If he was right, tens of thousands of schools continued to use the wrong methods. The sophistries in reading are slippery. Experts could apparently prove anything. I realized reluctantly that I had to read Frank Smith's Reading Without Nonsense. The Bible of Hold Word. It's rough going. On the second pass, I fixed on a claim that people could easily learn 50,000 sight words, even 100,000 sight words. But I remembered many years before reading a Time magazine article about the problems of designing a typewriter for Chinese. Time mentioned that only the most scholarly Chinese can master 20,000 of their ideograms. Ergo, the average Chinese probably doesn't reach 5,000. All of whole word was based on the assertion that ordinary humans can do something that, in fact, they can't do. That lie and its many ingenious ramifications has sustained 80 years of bad reading instruction. Many kids never reach even four or five hundred sight words. They are called functional literates, bad readers, struggling readers. They can't read for pleasure, which is the real litmus test. If you can settle down in a chair for half an hour that goes by like it was nothing because you're interested and you just read, 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 you're a reader. In that sense of reading, I bet you we have a hundred million functional illiterates because they're not at that level. Although they have a job, they can get a driver's license, but don't push them too high. Every time we have an industrial accident, I think, oh, that's maybe somebody who couldn't read the instruction booklet. Understanding why phonics is essential, especially for the average kid, made me more confident. I took on one by one constructivism, bad, cooperative learning, used too much, learning styles overplayed, prior knowledge overplayed, reform math really bad, and all the rest. Each of these issues, issues is a phony. Said to cure, it actually cripples. More and more I realize that the discussions that reach the daily paper are superficial. They kind of stir up the pot a little bit, but they don't explain what's really gone wrong. I tell you, I have to do a little aside here because the, I assumed the media were the good guys up until a few years ago. This was a mistake. I finally realized the same people running the schools are like the people running the media. And they cover just enough to cover themselves, but they never, ever explain anything in depth. They never say to the parents, this is what you got to do to protect your kids. When I say like germs, you need a germ theory. Almost a century ago, the famous John Dewey stated, quote, open quote, I believe that the school is primarily a social institution. Close quote. Well, that's a fascinating thing you read over that. I think it's the uh, My Pedagogic Creed. 18, 1897, yeah, 1897, and you read all that, blah, 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 but the thing is, a school is an educational institution first, and that's that, and you say it's a, a social institution, what you mean is you care about something more than education, you care very little about education, so John Dewey, betray he just says it right out, knowing that he'll be protected by the 
dreadful people we have in charge of this. See, he wanted children, he wanted the public schools to devote themselves to, to creating a new kind of child, more cooperative, less individualistic. John Dewey's ghost haunts American education. In fact, John Dewey's probably got a fireplace where he's in your local school where he kicks back with a, well, I don't know what he kicks back with. Could be a pipe. Here's the key phrase in all of education, theories and methods. The professors explain everything in terms of theories and methods. You want to screw up things? Just introduce a new theory. Children learn best when standing on their heads. All of our research shows. There's no doubt about it. So you've got this crazy theory in play now, and then you have various other professors at the next line of attack. They come up with methods that use this theory. Oh, well, now we have you hanging by jungle, what is it called, jungle bars or jungle gym or, you know, the things they used to have in playgrounds before they got rid of the things they used to have in playgrounds. So all the stuff is sold to the public as educational panaceas, but actually everything in the public schools is serving John Dewey's agenda. See, if I can understand the theory and show why it was false and then show the methods and why they're never going to work. Let me give you just one example from maybe 20. They came up with the phrase self-esteem. Now here's the part you got to see and appreciate because this is repeated over and over once you get sensitive to it. The phrase self-esteem is very clever. Don't all of us assume that self-esteem is good? In fact, <laughs> this is kind of funny. When they got into research on this, they found that people with lots of self-esteem are actually pretty horrible people. They don't feel they need to work with others or learn anything. They love themselves, and you're not going to get in the way. Anyway, but before anybody realized how bad it was, they passed this off as an obvious truth. And the whole school system had to be turned upside down. And one of the forms it took was, no matter how bad a job the kid did, you said, oh, you're wonderful. You're so smart. But in real life, it doesn't work like that. And I'm not saying the old methods, which were pretty tough, much tougher, are always better. But you've got to steer an even course between, you know, try, what is it, carrot and the carrot, sugar, carrot and honey, whatever it is, carrot, stick, carrot and stick. Yeah, that's the old thing. You, 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 you get the best out of animals and kids with carrots and sticks. But I mean, now at this stuff of, of saying, oh, you, you're so wonderful, I love you, I love you, I love you, and the kid won't do any homework. Why does he have to do homework? He's getting all the build-up he ever could hope for. Now, as far as being a reformer is concerned, I had an interesting realization about myself. I'm not smart enough to be among the real smart people who run the software companies and thought, the, thought empires and invent new things. It turned out that I was a more modest kind of smartness, but it's still very satisfying. I can see these theories, like uh, it was uh, Lou Gehrig, I think, or maybe it was Joe DiMaggio who said he could see the stitches. On a good day, he could see the stitches on a fastball. Now I read something in the paper, three sentences, and I think, what a bunch of nonsense. How they, how they, aren't they ashamed of themselves for coming out with this stuff? So while I'm not a rocket scientist, in education, I, I am a sort of rocket scientist because I've, got, I've, I've gotten... It, they're like little chess puzzles for me. I used to love the in the when I lived in New York, the New York Post had the best chess puzzle each Saturday. I look forward to it. 
and uh, I've all played Scrabble. I used to do the CryptoQuip every day in the gym until this COVID thing got. Instead of being able to carry around the CryptoQuip in a spare hand, so to speak, uh, I had to carry around the paper towels that are soaked in antiseptics and make the room safe and so on. The school system is just full of little things, little chess puzzles, and one of the one of the best ones. I don't know if this would be immediately. I'll be doing things about this other times, but constructivism is one of the biggest cliches, one of the biggest examples of take no prisoners jargon. The first, if I'm, I'm probably typical, the first 25 times I ran over this word, I thought, I don't know what that is. And the worst part is, I'm going to have to find out, otherwise I'm going to have to retire from being an education reformer, because this is everywhere. This was the new gospel about 15 or 20 years ago. Maybe, maybe think about that a minute. 1980s, 1990, somewhere in there, constructivism began to turn up in everything. And this was going to transform the schools. They always treat everything they invent, going back to sight words in 1931 or new math in 1962. Everything they invent is always like the ultimate triumph of the education professors against the complex, cruel world that's out there. And in fact, these so-called great discoveries are almost always bogus, dishonest, criminal. And constructivism turned out to be another one. But the, the key phrase in constructivism is create new knowledge. And I literally spent two or three weeks carrying this phrase around with me and saying, create new knowledge. What is, what's it, what, what is that? What, why is that a big deal? create new knowledge. And I would go back and forth over the words. And actually, it, I finally got the answer. And the answer is that the trick is contained in the word new. Create, no, it, that's that's not what they're saying. That's what they're saying, but it may be a, a lie. The, the, the big lie is in the word new. And they made it sound as though every little five-year-old was going to start coming up with Einstein breakthroughs you know, new for the world. But it's not new for the world, it's new for this kid. Because Piaget wrote about how kids acquire knowledge and process new information. And he said something to the effect of, you know, you don't know something until you know it for yourself. Well, big deal. I don't think that's that big a deal. I mean, that's that novel thing to say. I mean, it's like, so I'm in a town, I'm lost in a town or I'm in a new town and I say to somebody, where's the nearest bank? And the guy says, yeah, you go up there three blocks, turn left to the light, yeah, blah, blah, blah. You find it. You didn't have to. What would be the good good of making me go around that city all afternoon asking people one by one until somebody knows where the bank is? Or I find a bank. See, see I mean, Piaget put this emphasis on the self-instruction by the students. And this is where it gets really brilliant. This is where the you know, when Al Capones are coming out of the woodwork to give them a round of applause, they they said, well, if, if you learn something for yourself, you really know it. Okay, I can almost go with that. But if you don't learn it by yourself, it doesn't count. What? what, what where is that coming from? So in other words, you somebody tells you something, oh, it doesn't count. And you know what they got out of this? They got rid of the whole function of the teacher as teacher, as someone who teaches. Teachers cannot teach anymore. They invented this thing about the sage on a stage. Oh, that's terrible. Guide it yourself. Oh, yeah. The teachers can stay in the back of the room and give you little clues and pushes and hints. And that's how you learn your new knowledge. 
with the clues from the teacher, but no direct instruction, no straightforward articulation. I'm, I'm doing direct instruction right now, and everything I'm doing, I'm telling you, if you got anything from what I'm saying, then you are ignoring the wisdom of the teacher class, of the professor class. You know, it's not the teachers, by the way. I should, boy, I better say that quickly. I never talk about teachers. They have a lot of problems, people picking on them and stuff, and I'm not going to add to that. They don't have any power. That's why they don't interest me. It's the professors. I don't even know if the principals and and, super, and uh, the so-called administrators, they're living high on the hog relatively, but I don't know if they even understand what they're in. I don't know if you could find somebody in this public school system who could explain to you what constructivism is, or why is phonics, so why people keep talking about phonics. They won't know, especially they don't think the teachers know. They, they get them at school for two years, they get your master's, they teach them lots of junk from Dewey, and then they send them out in the world. They don't even teach them how to handle a class. So it's a reprobate situation. Okay, all these different things, seeing lots of bad stuff, which is what I call the crime scene, and seeing that there seemed to be a lot of malice, a lot of malpractice, a lot of malfeasance, a lot of bad intentions. You know, you say he came, he, he reached town, with, came in the house with bad intentions. He went into his boss's office with bad intentions. Well, you know there's going to be a fight or a, something worse. Well, that's what the education establishment does. They come into our world, our country, our culture with bad intentions. From Dewey and from the commie, uh, the common turn, 1920 and thereafter. These people just snuck into every part of our culture. They took over the media. They took over the uh, foundations, the, high, the big universities and uh, especially uh, public school systems. The thing to understand, boy, I, I, see, I can, everything in education connects to everything else, and that's because that's nothing ever gets better. But one of the things that's uh, interesting is that, you know, you say that there's probably only 10,000 commies in this country. And so you say, well, that's nothing. They can't win an election. They can't, can't do anything. Yeah, but he, let me tell you how it works in practice. It means they've got 25 hardcore nuts that hate this country. 25 at NBC, 25 at CNN, 25 at the New York Times, 25 here, 25 there, 25 here, 25 there, 25 at Princeton, 25 at Harvard, 25 at Yale. I'm just making up the number 25, but you get the drift. Those people, by subtleties and by innuendo and by gossip and by pulling on a guy's sleeve and saying, you know, I think that so-and-so and so is something we ought to avoid or look into or whatever way he wants you to go. They don't announce that they're commies. Lenin said very early on, 1920, he didn't want people proudly bragging they were commies. He wanted people sneaking around so they could be agents of change and destruction. Really a fascinating thing that he saw this right off. Um, so that's the thing. You see, the, con the, the school system is out of control, and its main job is to try to dumb down the schools and the, and the people so that conquest or transformation, Obama called it the transformation of our country. I think Biden promised very much. We don't want a transformation of our country, not directed by commie hiding away in the basement at Harvard's Graduate School of Education. I would just like to extend this, because I only read this recently myself, by chance, a book about the 20s. And I think uh, there was a new communist group in Germany, and they were very proud of being communists, and they were going around with buttons and uh, 
you know, maybe a new kind of coat or something. And Lennon, I mean, he, this guy is one of the greatest cynics you ever read. He 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 knows the evil spin. He's the devil. Stalin was another devil. But anyway, here's what Lennon said. He said, why did God make the young so stupid? He said, I don't want these people bragging about being communists. I want them hiding the fact they're communists so they can get sneak into the woodwork of the bourgeoisie and bring it all tumbling down. See? Smart guy, and that's what we're up against. A lot of little rats in the in the in the woodwork. All right, thank you for attending. Oh, as I, I should mention each time, shamelessly enough, the complimentary book to everything I'm talking about on this podcast is, is a book that you can easily get, twenty bucks, it's paperback, saving K twelve, but only three bucks, actually two ninety nine, as an ebook. And this is the best short condensed survey of the whole subject. And written in, well, I don't know if you say the way I talk is lively, but average education article has very little to say. And they just kind of, it's more like a, what's the difference between reviewing a book and what they call a survey article, where you just kind of chatter over this, you know, you give kind of statistics and things. And that's, I'm not interested in that. I'm trying to get right to the core of things. Overview. Let's fix Education explores seven of my favorite themes. First, this podcast is a meditation on what I call the K-12 crime scene. So many destructive ideas. Understanding them is the key to fixing them. Two, by doing that we will have better schools at less cost. Three, nothing much changes decade to decade. The big questions of the 1930s were the big questions of the 1960s and the 1990s. Any subject we discuss can easily intersect with any other subject. Most people instinctively want traditional education, but the education establishment fills classrooms with progressive gimmicks. The result is that we have a standoff, and that's why you run into the same ideas over and over. Four. The big brains in education keep telling students, don't bother memorizing this or that. You can look it up later. B.B. King, comma, the great guitarist, is much smarter. He said, the beautiful thing about learning is nobody can take it away from you. Five, Lennon's ghost wanders through our school system. The hard left thinks big. If they have to kill millions of people to build their perfect society, that's okay. Same goes for dumbing down millions of students. Totalitarians want power. They will do anything to get it. Six, if we are going to survive, we have to take each child to his or her limit. As it is, we are creating millions of subeducated students from K right through college. Seven, analyzing education, especially dysfunctional education, is a lot more intellectually interesting than most people suppose. You'll enjoy this. Finally, P.S., my book, Saving K-12, runs parallel to everything discussed on this podcast. I also have an education site, improve-education.org, with 70 articles that complement everything discussed here. And I have hundreds of articles on the Internet. Enter a topic in Google with my full name, Bruce Dietrich Price, and let Google make suggestions. Thank you for visiting.